podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good evening and welcome to a special little Arsenal Opinion podcast here. Um, we are doing a long after the whistle, okay? You know, you're used to the on the whistles. Our patrons, our patrons will be used to before the whistles. But this one is not just an on the whistle, it's past that. It's later, it's further down the line, long after the whistle. But the person here with me, man like Matt Candela, you feel like there's lots more to lots more meat on the bone to pick off after that amazing City result. I do think there's a lot of meat on the bone left to pick on. Um, but if I'm really honest, I just we I just missed you. I just missed you. <laughs> I just I just wanted a wanted a chat to you about the game more than anything else because it was the biggest game of the season, the biggest win in a long time. So many epic moments. We've all been scrolling furiously uh, to just get any more additional views of all the big moments and. Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like uh, I think the international break. Sometimes it can feel long, but it's almost like it's it's almost nice because it's just given us the opportunity to sort of bask in the victory. I couldn't agree more. Basking is a very very um, useful adjective for where we are right now because we can we can bask. Like basking sharks they're huge, aren't they? And quite frankly, they are the kind of animals that I feel that's my spirit animal right now. A basking shark. Just yeah, absolutely having Let's it. Let's bask. Let's yeah. bask in the city victory ocean. Um, should we jump in to what yeah. you know? I mean, everyone knows what's going on by now, don't they? So let's get involved in that. Hottest of takes. Hottest of takes. The hottest of takes. The AOP hottest of takes. Make it spicy. Matt, it's only me and you, so there's no question. I was the one doing the intro, so it's going to certainly be you with the first of the hottest of takes. Where are you taking it? Um, my hottest of takes is that this was the game that gave us the belief once again that we are going to challenge for the Premier League title this season. I think everyone had been a bit like, are we going to have a good season? Are we not going to have a good season? We seem to be creating a little bit less. We're you know, it, I, I don't. I think the results were sort of good, but maybe the vibes weren't as strong as last year. Well, the vibes got turned up to eleven on the weekend with that result, and I think now the team very much feel. Maybe they always did, but I think the fans as well. The fans and teams are connected and united, um, and I think everyone is expecting a race to the bitter end, or hopefully the joyful end this year. Um, and I think this is just going to give us, I think the belief is just going to be coursing through the veins after that win. You're on mute. <laughs> what a, what an entrance. What an entrance. <laughs> oh, dear. Let's let everyone know it's live, okay? We're not too polished. We do have a mute, a mute mess up every now and then. But um, I think that's a great host of takes. I think I'll take it in a direction where... I've said this kind of stuff before on uh, the AOP and I'll return to it. And that is that when you talk about elite sport that we're all interested in, that we're all besotted in, um, you know, the hook, if you like, that keeps us interested is that ever-changing narrative, that storyline that gets written, another page gets written every weekend in the Premier League or in the Champions League. 
And as you can see the season unfolding, you feel feel like the story is ever more written, but there are these key junctures. It's almost like one of those... Do you remember those stories you used to read as kids and you can pick to go to page six or... Choose your own adventure. Exactly, choose your own adventure. And... This is like that, where there are the key moments. It's like, are you going to step up in a big moment and beat your nearest rivals who have just proven themselves to be the best team in Europe? Yes, we are. Page six. And I tell you what, I feel like we're on to the, we're on to the path that's going to lead to some really, really good um, storylines for Arsenal fans. It's excellent. I'm still buzzing. And so overall, this is a choose-your-own-story, I hope, with a happy ending. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, we didn't choose a dull, drab, nil-nil. They just left as many questions as answers. We we said no, that less questions, more answers, and we uh, and we delivered on it. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So Matt, let's jump in. I mean, there's only one place to start. We started talking about it already. The dust settled on City. Okay, this is why we're even here. Long after the whistle, still talking about it. What does it mean? What, does, what 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 do we feel like this result could mean come the end of the season? Well, I mean, we just had such an incredible start to the season last year. Um, 50 points uh, at the halfway point. Um, 21 points after eight games, I believe. We only dropped the three points that we lost to Manchester United. We had one defeat last time. And I think we probably in all honesty, we're saying that we're not going to get to 50 points in the first half of this season. But, you know, if you could get to, you know, 45, that would be really, really, that would really set you up for a title challenge. And then the important piece is not to lose to Man City. So to look on and be six wins and two draws, we're one point less less well off than last season. But in a way, I think we're in a stronger position because we're undefeated. You know, that defeat against Manchester United, there was always that sort of sense of, oh, it's, you know, the first big test and you failed it sort of thing. Whereas in this in this instance, you know, we've beaten Man United with late goal, we've beaten City with a late goal. And the two games we've drawn, we shouldn't have drawn, you know, stupid errors in both, but very easily fixable. So um, I think we're just in a, in, in a really, really strong place. And even better, we've got players who it feels like, Felt like we were in fifth gear all season and then we ran out of gas. Whereas this season it feels like we're in like City we were in we were in fourth gear. You know, we didn't get crazy. We sometimes we're in third. We actually went all the way through the gears. Um but it you don't feel like we're just like on the edge, uh emotional, uh uh wasting energy. So I'm really excited about how everything is shaping up and I think it's going to be really interesting. Hopefully they come back after the break and take advantage of of of, of, of the Chelsea situation and get three points there. Uh, yes, I, I very much agree. And to return back to something that I have said in previous pods as well, you might may remember my little analogy about like the pace setters in uh, like a marathon and how particularly with the like psychology around sport, you know, that I don't understand the logic almost behind why someone can run quicker with a pace setter that they're following, but it's the mentality that you naturally go into and you can get higher performance. And 
you would say that despite being on less points, we're in a better position. And that is because the feeling around the team, as opposed to last year, last year it felt like we are playing amazing. We just got to hang on. Can we keep doing what we're doing? We're playing at the moment. We're, we might have slightly less points, but we've beat, we're unbeaten. And we're like, we haven't even hit top gear yet. Like when we start turning it on, people are going to get some absolute treatment off us. The shit teams are going to get had up and the big teams are going to get slapped around the Emirates. And we, and that's what we're showing because we've already done it. So the idea of feeling like you're doing well from a results point of view, but still feeling like there is still some way to go to reach optimal performance. That's the kind of stuff that gives you um, encouragement that you can maintain the title challenge. Whereas last year, it felt like we were operating at maximum capacity and it's could we hold on. Yeah, you know what I like about your pace setters thought? It's Because obviously the, the pace setters, we hate to say it, right? But it's Tottenham. They're top of the league. And I like the idea that they're like, they're just the juniors in the team. They're just setting the pace. And then uh, and then we're just waiting for them to drop off. It's like the Tour de France, you know? Uh, they're just like leading us up the hill. We're just like tucked in, uh, being aerodynamic behind them. And then they'll just fall away and wither and become irrelevant and we'll go on and conquer. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, that's the thing. In, in a, Of course, you know, Tottenham are top of the league. But what what is it? Goals scored? No, I mean, it's the most ridiculous one. That even the Tottenham fans that I know in my life, they have been, at best, they've had a tongue-in-cheek uh, dig, like mind the gap and stuff. But they know that they haven't got away from us. And this is the best they could have hoped for to be performing at, you know, with... Um, you know, they've played four of the bottom five teams, as it stands. And they've scraped wins against a lot of these guys as well, you know. I think there's a comeuppance in the air for Tottenham. At, I'm annoyed at it wasn't point. us. Yeah, but you know what? We've we've had dominant teams that win big trophies and still rolled into town at White Hart Lane and can't get wins. I've seen... City. Yeah, Goliath teams not be able to. That's, that's what they're about. We just... Um, Again, bask, bask in the glow of the fact that they can't maintain their top performance. They get Spursy is in their DNA. It is. So we are um, looking back to the amazing result, but there's been lots of press, lots of talk about um, certain players, some standout performers. But I know you wanted to point us in the direction where we maybe shine a bit of light Give some flowers to some unsung heroes, heroes of that um, fantastic win. Who do you want to um, point out, Matt? Well, I think it was really the idea of we didn't really have any unsung heroes um, last year. Like, I can't really recall anyone um, out of the 1-11 to coming in and really delivering and turning, winning the three points almost single-handedly. And when I go back to like 1998 or, or previous years, there were always unsung heroes. You know, Chris Ray won games for us. Uh, Alex Manninger won games for mm. us, you know, and then later on, Jules Grimondi won games for us, you know, with goals, with performances. But last season, it was just, you know, oh, we just had a fantastic 1-11. to 11. But what I'm liking about this season is that the players coming in are not being shit. Um, Fabio Vieira early on in the season, you know, turned the game around um, against Fulham when we were one down. 
should have won that. But, you know, he was behind that. Eddie has come in and done a job as needed as a as a, as a backup. Um, but one of the guys who I thought was so, so great when he came on was, was Tommy Yasu. Um, and it made me realise he's actually been doing it for a few games now. But I feel like he's put his fitness problems behind him. He's so underrated. He can play anywhere in, in the back. That performance we saw against Germany for Japan was epic. You don't worry about him. If you said, oh, uh, Chelsea game, Tommy Yasu's playing, starting, left back. You're like, okay, cool. Right back, cool. Even centre-half, you're like, oh. But I, I still back him to to get the job done. And how good is that? I mean, he's just, um, it's so good to have him. And 15 million, it's a real steal. Who's signing internationals like Tommy Yasu with that professionalism, the composure, uh, the ambition? And then obviously he played such a crucial role. He came on, we all thought to shore things up and then ended up in the number nine spot. Uh, and he certainly deserves a run of games up top now. I think we all know that, you know, Eddie, bless you. You've had your run around. It's, it's Tommy's go. Give him five games to prove himself. Tommy, just you see the goal, you shoot. It's that simple. They but used no, to have those players, right? Like Dion Dublin was one, centre-half and striker. Chris Sutton, oh, uh, centre-half and striker. Julian Dix, I think, would go up there as well. Um, certainly took penalties. Uh, yeah, no, of course. I mean, to be honest, I'm obviously being a bit playful with Tommy Assey, but... I feel like William Saliba would be a sick striker. He used to be a striker. He's quicker than everyone. He's a tank. Like it, I think he could be a player. But we'll, we'll keep him at the back. We're doing all right at the moment, eh? Um, let's talk. So, in terms of unsung heroes, um, I would probably point out two players. Um, and whilst one of them certainly, I would say, is an unsung hero, he certainly isn't someone who isn't talked about. And that's Kai Harvertz, who stepped up. And let's be honest, I've been a pretty outspoken critic of him up to now. And I think justifiably so. But in big moments, come off the bench. And he said, I want to be involved. And I'm gonna, I'm ready to step up to City. And he, you know, he got an assist. I'm about G's and A's. I like when people deliver and they take accountability. That is tight control in the box. Even a little bit of vision to go, there you go. People with no class, they maybe shank that little layoff to Martinelli. Maybe they, you know, they mess it up. No, under control. I'm giving him full credit. And he come on. And I'm and I'm all here for substitutes who get that little slap on the arse, go and win us the game, and they go out there and do it. It's great. And that's what he's done. So Kai Harvard's is one. And the other person who hasn't necessarily been um uh, he has been a bit of an unsung hero, but partly because he hasn't been in the team, but is returning. That's Thomas Party. I agree. You know, he, he's come back in and he, he looks classy. And I, I've got to, I've got to bring it back to one thing as well. We all, we talked about rightfully so how Gabriel back, being back with Saliba. I, I just, I'm like, what are we doing? Like, we can't change from this. It's been proven right for me. Thomas Party and Declan Rice. We haven't seen enough of it. We need to see it. Declan Rice is a 10 out of 10 player. He's outrageous. One of either the best defensive midfielder in the league, maybe the world, or the second best. And if he's got Thomas Partey next to him, I think that's the best duo. So can we see more of that? He looks like he's ready to roll. And 
suddenly, if he has a run of games in the in the team, I think he would become a sung hero because um, he's got big performances in his locker. I agree. I agree. I mean, everyone was saying he's the best midfielder in the country in March, and then he had a pretty major drop-off in form. But I think part of it was just being overplayed um, a little bit. Well, I don't know. I don't think there's any excuse for it. He lost, he lost his marbles a little bit. Maybe he wasn't fit. Maybe he was carrying an injury. But for me, I agree that it's just the North London. Well, they're saying Saliba and Gabriel is the North London wall, but I feel like Rice and Party is is something else. It's just like an, it's just another wall. We've got two North. Why, why do we only have to? Why can we? Why do we have to be limited to one? Why can't we have more than one? But it's just uh, it's just so powerful. And like it, that to me, I think you can play at home, but I think away that's what you want party Declan Rice at Anfield chomping you know it's just it's just got like strength it's got class and it doesn't I think people would say oh but you know can we be more creative but I think it's just like Odegaard license to roam we've got this covered don't worry about it no one's getting through here we own the midfield you go and do your thing create score but um, I think that for me is, I think it's just, it just showed that's that's the way to go if when 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 the team is fit and then Kai is a is a super sub or, or rotating in at nine. It, it, it's it's great. Listen, you say two walls, two North London walls. That's a North London block. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. It's the North London block. Those four and they mirror each other quite nicely. You know. One maybe a little bit more technically superior, both intense, you know, um, and the other one probably a bit more aggressive as well. And I, I, I mean, that might not be the dynamic with Party and Rice because I think they can do what each other can do similarly, but just do it slightly different. Um, but you yes, know, because that uh, that I mean, that pass from Party for the goal, yeah, unreal yeah. pass, right? I mean, He's... if Cesc Fabregas does that, we're talking about it for a week. He's not just, you know, and we won't, we can't go back to it because we've got this shiny new thing. We can't start looking at Thomas Party as just some guy who does the running, you know, some water carrier. He's a classy midfielder. And potentially, like, sometimes in a player's career, they can still be a good player, but they can't be the leader anymore. They need someone else to pick everyone else up. And I think you would, you could say that even last year, for as good as Party was, Xhaka was probably the leader more in the midfield than what Party was. Party just takes care of himself more. And that's why it started to really show up towards the end because he wasn't leading and he wasn't taking care of himself anymore. Whereas I think Declan Rice is the clear leader of the midfield now. He is... Someone told me that you guys were, were throwing around Vieira Mark twos. Listen, I think, I think I'm seeing I'm seeing Patrick stuff from him. I, I can't. I, I'm getting really excited, and I, and I refuse to apologise. I'm really I'm loving what I'm seeing. From don't apologise. Don't. Don't. Never. Never. You don't need to. And and the thing is, no one's asking you to. <laughs> the thing is, is when they get the ball, you you were saying about Erdegaard, just go and do what you want. It's not just that because it's Erdegaard. Go and sit just in front of the defence. Like in that little pocket, and we will find you. We're that yeah. good. It's yeah. not like oh, we just make tackles. And Declan Rice is the leader, but I think Erdegaard is the leader of the press. Mm. Uh, you know, he's the one who dictates almost the way the whole team presses from the front. 
he does such a good job. He's always telling everyone where to go. And, and uh, I mean, we're just a team of leaders. That's the whole point. Do you remember when we used to just be like, who could be, who could be, our, it wasn't who should be our captain. It was like, who could be our captain? Because like, there ain't too many captains out there right now. You know, it was Maitland Niles and Obama Yang oh. and Lacazette. And then you had like, you reverted to just people who shouted a lot. It was like, well, maybe it's Socrates or just people who were actually just like the best player on the team, Tierney, even though there's nothing to suggest he'd be a good captain. So you're like, well, you know, Socrates could be the captain. Socrates? Are you crazy? Whereas now you look across the team, you're like, um, you know, Saliba, Gabriel, Ben White, Zinchenko, Party, you know, like it's, that everyone is a captain, every single one of them. Yeah, Good 11 captains. I agree, couldn't agree more. So, one of those captains would surely be um, potentially Arsenal's best player, Bukayo Saka. Um, out, we saw him a bit of a lame duck before the City game, didn't end up taking the field in that game, and now has been confirmed as being out for the internationals with England. Um, what do you make of the fact that they've at least respected the fact that if he can't play against City, he can't play for England? And, you know, is do he, you expect he, that he, to... Yeah, he's not with the squad anymore now, right? He's back at... They said recover recover at Arsenal. I, I, I believe so. Let me just check it, because we, yeah. we are about facts here, but... Because there was um, a moment where they were like, well, let's just like come and just chill for a bit. But it's like, mate, what, why? Yeah, just, exactly. Just... just Rest, rest up. Um, no, I think he's. I think he's. I think he's officially, officially giving given the chance to rehabilitate yeah. at Arsenal. I wonder when the last time he had two weeks off was. I mean, that's a nice little holiday, isn't it? I mean, it won't be a holiday because he just does exactly what he's supposed to do. I'd imagine he's going in, he's ice bathing, he's getting. Uh, facial massages on his feet. He's, you know, doing electroshock therapy um, or whatever. But I'm sure he's just like getting 100% ready. I am. You know what I'm excited about? Fully fit soccer at Stamford Bridge. That's what I'm excited about. Oh, they've got one coming this year, I tell you. We are Chelsea's bogey team in a massive way. And they have started in all sorts of shaky form. And they will not relish the Gooners coming to town. They will not be fancying it. Literally, like, oh, we haven't got our defence sorted. We're struggling to score goals in every other game. Mudrick will save us. Oh, who's that at the door? It's the Arsenal. And <laughs> we want everything. Oh, it could be great. It could be really That's great. where I want to see Declan Rice and Thomas Party just going and just taking control. Because I think Chelsea have got good players, like Caicedo, and, you know, but they haven't got a good team. And so, just it's just you just got to stamp him down. You just can't give the good players the opportunity to, you know, Caicedo and Fernandez are really good players. There's no mm. doubt about it. But we've just got to just stamp on them. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they are not stress test, uh, stress tested that team. No. And if you put them under pressure, they will bust, buckle. They'll crack. It. Yeah, we've seen it. Just mm-hmm. on Saka, because um, obviously that's where we were at. I think that. Like you say, I, I, I don't remember the last time, if ever, he's had that much time to fully... No, it must have been. I mean, the summer, but, I mean, 
that this felt guy, like it felt like he, he didn't really get a break, didn't it? I didn't. I mean, it felt like he went from England duty to uh, to that to Amer- to the American preseason trip. I think he got a week off, two weeks off. Yeah, so he's getting longer off now. He's he's going to be on playing a bit of FIFA and feet up. You know what I mean? Just chilling out, probably snacking. Um, and but to be honest, if he comes back and he's you know what he's run, doing, Johnny, basking. And there he is. There he is. Yeah, of course he is. He's probably watched Match of the Day a few times. I've got no doubt. But either way, we wish you well, Bukayo, because um, we're if he comes back red hot like he was kind of getting into before, we are just going to menace some people, and I can't wait for it. Let's cook. Yeah, let's cook. Right, um, moving on. Yova versus Walker. We are now starting to see the epic epic showdown that took place on the touchline at the end of the game um, after the City game and why it was kicking off because I don't know about you but in my uh, in the game I was watching the highlights or not the highlights, the um, coverage they kind of cut to it a bit late and it was already kicked off uh, Walker was being pulled away but we now know that it was because uh, Nicholas Jova, our set piece coach, went over to shake his hand and the context being that after the City game, when they beat us, they went over to shake his hand, being a former Man City coach and that, or having worked with them. And he and, refused. Yeah, and he refused it. And then this time he comes over because he's got the 1-0 in his back pocket. <laughs> Come on, lads, great game. And Carl Walker kicked off. And they were ready to go at it. But I'm just saying you do not want to go over with Nicholas Jova. The guy is ready to roll. He's got set pieces for days. And Carl Walker could have come unstuck. What do you make of the fact that Yova's announced himself on this stage, Matt. I think it's less about Yova and more about Walker. And it's more about, it's like, you can give it, but you can't take it. And you never had any issues before. You were never like fretting or getting annoyed at full time. And the only way that that happens is when there is a true rivalry. The only way it happens is when you're rattled. And we've never really rattled City. We've never rattled them. You know, Pep Guardiola's always giving out comment, like positive comments. Oh, Arsenal are great. Arteta's great. They're amazing. They should win the league. Um, we, you know, we're so impressed by them. And then they dominate and then they beat us. Uh, and we just make mistakes and fall apart. But this is different. We beat them. And you saw it. They don't like it. They, they, they don't mind. They love patting us on the head and saying, plucky old Arsenal, well done. Next time, you played really, really well. That was a really hard game for us on our way to winning the treble. Well, guess what? Those times have changed. Declan Rice is here. Kai Harvitz is here. And uh, and we're not we're not playing that role anymore. There's been a role reversal. You're weaker. You've lost Gundogan. You know, you've lost Mares. You're suffering a mini hangover. And we're there to capitalise. We are going to be there. We are. We are going to twist um, the proverbial knife. Um, and I, I, I will take it a little bit more in the direction of Yeover, actually. And I will say that it feels good to have someone... There was a long time before, you know, when Arteta first came in, where you looked at the backroom back staff and you thought, is Arteta surrounded himself with the right kind of people behind him? It, are there, as we've seen... Previous managers make that mistake. Just a bunch of yes men when really you end up going mad with the trappings of your own mind because everyone's like, yeah, Mick, yeah, you got it right, yeah. Well, you keep losing. Yova didn't seem that way for me. From the moment he came in, 
he's been quick to be able to establish a name for himself and show on on the field impact based on what he has done. Our set pieces are absolutely night and day compared to where they were five years ago. It was embarrassing. So scary. You can never score a goal from a corner. Even big lumps playing at the back, they can never score. Maybe get about two-headed goals a year. We were conceding loads. No one knew who was picking up. That just doesn't happen anymore. If we concede from a set piece, people look pissed off. And Yova looks pissed off. And at the end of the day, I think that it's great to have a personality on the bench, not just to impress their own ideas upon Arteta, who, you know, his role is to be the conductor rather than the originator of all good thought. Um, and also someone who's going to give it every now and then when it kicks off, because that's what a serious club has. They have people who are willing to step up and say, yeah, my assistant manager should have been sent to the stands. Because <laughs> we're that kind of club. I, I love that take. I hadn't really thought about it, but I love that. Suddenly you do feel like we've got a bench. Like, yeah, it was like, oh, what? We've got that guy from Everton? That's how it felt. We got that guy from Everton who he worked with. Like, he's no good. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you've got AirPods Albert, you've got uh, Jova, you've got young Carlos, yeah. the stag. You know, it's just like, and those guys are, you know, they're ready. They may look, uh, well, they're, they're all in the Arteta mold, aren't they? They can basically float off the handle at any moment. They're extremely volatile and emotional. They're like, they're, they're both, aren't they? They're, they're like, quite like, intellectual and thoughtful but then they can absolutely go bonkers at any moment and yeah like I, I I love just seeing how quickly we as a group are ready for piling in whether it be celebrating a goal or someone steps to us and everyone's on it everyone's on the scene you know <laughs> it's like the goal everyone was there in the corner celebrating Carl Walker just looked at Jova and started getting a little bit intimidating. He also did that really annoying thing where he almost like pushes his head down trying to like assert his physical superiority. It's like, mate, have another sex party, honestly. It's, it's, <laughs> we don't, we're not, we're not bothered by you. We're not, we're really not. You're right. I love it. I love seeing it. And, and you know, that point about piling in, which I completely agree with. One of the most um, darkest eras for me were not only it was not only when we were losing points on the on the field it was when things would kick off and players would be left on their own or the referee would make a shocking decision and we wouldn't even go over and you know reprimand like have, have a go at him and try and convict you know because we all know that he's not going to change his mind of that decision but if you get into a ref's ear there's more chance something goes your way later on but we weren't, we weren't even doing it. We were not only easy to play against, we were pushovers in every aspect. And so to have that attitude dissipate and return with something that is real and it's real still. I'm, I'm, a fa- I'm still a fan of his for what he did, Obama Yang. But the idea that he was our captain like two years ago, basically. I mean, we, we never stood a chance, did we? It's unforgivable, isn't it? When you look back, you're like, what are we talking about? But it shows how lost we were. Yeah. I mean, who would have seen the rise? Arteta was lost at one point. There's no yeah. point in pretending he wasn't. He gave him the contract. Mm-hmm. Kept him he as gave the, captain him the captain all that time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Matt, let's move it on. Because one of the things you brought up as well about talking about, and I love this, is um, 
the Emirates roar, the return of the Emirates roar. It felt like the atmosphere, the buoyant atmosphere that we've seen in recent times was back to its full potential against City. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you make of the return of the atmosphere? I mean, I spoke to someone who was in the ground and he said his hearing is still not back, still not fixed. He said he's never experienced a noise like it in a football stadium when the Martinelli goal went in. Um, and the crazy thing about it is it just feels like we're making those memories on a weekly basis. We had Reese Nelson, then we had Declan Rice, then we got Gabriel Martinelli. Before that, it's like, what was it? Our Charvin against Barcelona. Danny, then it was like Danny Welbeck against Leicester. We had to wait, used to have to wait five years. Now we don't even have to wait five weeks. You know, <laughs> we're making memories every all, all, all the time and, and the crowd are responding. Um, and I think, you know, we touched on it at the beginning. It feels like there's a bit more belief. I think everyone was a bit like touchy-feely at the beginning. It's like, is this, is this working? Is it not working? How's the team going? Is this going to be as good season? Um, you know, um, but I think... Um, it's, I mean, I hope it's just sounded like a phenomenal atmosphere. And there's like a gift that I saw of just the absolute limbs when Gabby Martinelli smashed it in um, with his deflected winner. Just, just, just looked absolutely bonkers. And I think it's maybe been a little bit of a quiet to start because we're dealing in expectation versus just pure joy and surprise that we're actually good again. That's what it was at this time last season. It was like, where the hell did this all come from? Whereas now it's like, we can't drop a point. We can't drop a point. Otherwise City will go too far ahead. But um, it's, it's, we're, in a, we're, in a, we're, in a, we're in a good spot. And now we just got to make sure that um, the support is, is, continues as positively as it started. You're on mute. You're not roaring, Johnny. That is, is that's poor. When you do it <laughs> twice, is, that, is, that is a red card. <laughs> well, two yellows. Okay. We'll get onto that because they're not giving you two yellows these days. They don't want to break up the flow of the prod. They don't want to get involved. Um, so, but, but we're just we're following the rules. Yeah, well, yeah, we we should absolutely scrutinise that in a bit. Now, um, with this, I would say one of the things that we started to realise last year was how much of an impact a, a really good atmosphere has at the top end of the table, making your ground a cauldron is, you know, as much, of course, it's about the players on the field, but it's heavily influenced by the fans in the stand. We have to make it an intense place to come and play. We have to, you know, there's no questions in the world. If we were still in in the lockdown era, no fans in the ground, we would not have this many last-minute winners. I could guarantee it. The crowd are geeing the players up. They're stirring them. They literally listen to the player testimony. They're saying that the atmosphere is dragging them over the line sometimes. So anything that was anyone who thought that last year was just going to be like you say, we were a bit excited because it was unexpected. No, it is as much on the fans now to get the players over the line, creating those positive atmospheres, those difficult places to come and play for rivals. And I was delighted with City because it looked like the fans were more than ready to step up to the to the mark and deliver. And uh, obviously, not only did they, but the team did as well. So hopefully, a sign of more things to come. Um, Matt, we kind of had a perfect little teaser there because one of the things that's been going on this week has been the refing lessons. So Howard Webb 
was on Ref Watch on Sky Sports, and he obviously is now the the head director of Pogmol, and he basically came out and answered questions around the whole Michael Oliver um, decisions uh, with the game in the game in, at City. Certainly, those two yellow cards or non-yellow cards in in the second instance for uh, Kovacic. Um, but Howard Webb went on to say that he believes that Michael Oliver didn't want to get too heavily involved in the game and break the flow of the game. What do you make of those comments? Well, you know, it, we're trying to... I think refereeing is subjective. Um, VAR is supposed to remove the subjectivity. Um, but, you know, they're flip-flopping. And I think uh, Pedro had a great comment on his on his Twitter account earlier. But it's like, are you following the rules of the law to the letter or are you interpreting the rules of the law in the best possible way to maintain it as a spectacle? Uh, and I feel like we just sort of swing from one to the other. Um, you know, you, you, <laughs> this is the same ref who sent Gabby Martinelli off for two yellows in the same passage of play. So, but now he wants to protect the integrity of the game. And he was. That's why he didn't send him off for the second yellow. It's. I think it's just the same question. And you know, we. It's actually not as much of an intellectual conversation as you'd imagine. I think it's just they're just really fucking inconsistent, you know. And that's that's all it all it is. It's they do what they feel like on the day. Sometimes they're tired because they've been flying off to Saudi to ref some games, and uh, and it's and it's a mess. But um, what can you do? Um, you know, great points. Um, I think that when you look at this, um, and this is not like a, an excuse for it, but it's more kind of trying to understand the context of it. And I would say that for some of those points, like are you referring to the letter of the law or are you being subjective? You always have to have a bit of both. You always have to be subjective when dishing out the letter of the law. But I think that that realistically is nothing new. But the point you made um, about like the Martinelli thing with um, um, Oliver in the past, I actually think that that is more instructive of another situation. And that is when I look kind of holistically at like what, what matters for the Premier League, the bosses of the ref, they care about eyeballs. They care about making money. And what they want is to maintain a very good product. And the difference between when Martinelli was sent off against Wolves and why they haven't sent Kovacic off, I believe, is because we need to get realistic now. We are box office. That's what it is. The games we play in now, they're not like side notes. Arsenal, Wolves a few years ago, no one gave a shit outside of us. The Premier League didn't care. So they're like, yeah, send him off. Who gives a fuck? Now, what? Sending a player off in an Arsenal Man City game. Nah, mate. We've got like huge global audiences. This could decide who wins the league. Be very, very light touch ref. He would have been given instruction like that in a way that he wouldn't have got ahead of a Wolves game. So I think it's more instructive of the fact of how our star has risen. Um, but ultimately, you know, being a bit subjective, that's how they've always done it. It's nothing new. It's just that this one didn't really go our way. And it should have. Of course it should have. Biggest game of the season, wasn't it? So not mm. a good game to get such a big decision wrong, but happening every week. It's happening every week. 
But the thing is, is also to specifically talk about decision, we were a little bit, in, in many ways, that was only an issue with regards to the second yellow. Because that was the one that he decided to not dole out when reality is, is everyone could see it was a yellow. It's just a shocking decision. But that's where he's gone. I don't want to get involved in the Florida game. It's a nonsense. But that's where he made the decision. The one where, you know, you can get VAR involved because VAR could not get involved in that second yellow. They can't get involved. Yeah, in and that's where it's, where it's harder. Because I do think, I think the first one, um, anyone who listened to you on the whistle, I said, I think it's an orange. Mm. I think it's like you can make the case either way. You know, it wasn't two-footed. It wasn't off the ground. It was, and it was hard, but was it excessively hard? But if it was any, it felt out of control and it was right on his ankle. And if it was any of those things, it would have broken his leg in half. Mm. So, so, and it wasn't like he was, there was no control there. So I, th- I thought it was an orange and I thought the mistake was the second one. I thought the first one was just about you can get away with it. It doesn't become a news story. But once the second one comes in, it's like, nope, nope. No, I do I do agree with that. And the, But the problem is, is that I guess the point I was trying to make is that we have at least a slightly new villain of the piece. It wasn't VAR. To the, this, this, for this one, VAR couldn't really do anything. They couldn't get involved in the yellow, or I'm sure they would. And the first one, as you said, I think it's, just close enough to say no. We're not. We're certainly not reversing it. But the person who has done us this time is the ref because he's seen it and he's not given that yellow. So it's not VAR at least. It is just the ref that's done us over. Well, it's an interesting point, right? Because sometimes we think that if we get rid of VAR, all our problems are going to go away. And it's like, no, we're just going to be dealing with shit refs. It's going to be the same thing. Hundred percent. If that even maybe even worse. Uh, uh, well, yeah, exactly. There'll be no grounds for recourse. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We'll just have loads of apologies. We won't even get an apology. From <laughs> uh, let's move into the last bit. And AOP, AOP, have you got anything, Matt? Maybe you want to talk about the New York subway system and how unreliable it's been on you? It was unreliable. There's nothing worse, is there, than when you're just a few minutes from home and you're like, I, if I could get off now, I could walk home in two minutes. But instead... Uh, had to sit it out, and there was a guy eating an absolutely ginormous slice of pizza next to me. I mean, what, what, what's your take on people eating pizza on the tube and subway? There, there are there are different food types that are more acceptable. You know, sometimes sushi, I'll be, sushi's fine. I eat a bag of crisp, and sometimes oh. if you're eating a bag of crisp, some people look at me like funny. I'm like, mate, what do you want me to do? I'm clear. The noise is a lot, though. The noise is a lot. It's like that. It is noisy though. It is. It's a noisy place. Do you know what I mean? You're not so. But um, no, there are. I, I've seen people eating like, like full on curries and things like that. And you're eating no, mate. Get a table somewhere, please. Yeah, noodles. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, no. Uh, apart from that, um, I, I wanted to say one bit about my transport issues as well. Coming back on Eurostar from Amsterdam, a uh, great little weekend. And apparently, how are, you, how are you feeling? I'm just about coming back to normality. Yeah, mate. I did eat nice food, though. I've got to say that some nice food. And I went to the house museum. So, like, so house is that mu- house music? Yeah, house. Oh music. my yeah, god, yeah. that sounds like that sounds like. I mean, I know exactly what that sounds like. It sounds like you're pretending you're going to a museum, but you're just going to a naughty rave. 
it basically was that. I came out at like three in the afternoon. Like that was a bit. That was a bit wicked. Uh, <laughs> but no, that's as near to a rave as I tend to get these days. But um, showing me age, showing me age. But yeah, on the way back, because there's been this big outbreak of bed bugs in France, uh, we started getting told that the Eurostar had bed bugs on it, and um, <laughs> and it has even got onto the Victoria Line in the um, in the London Underground. Oh my god, that is bad. Bed yeah. bugs. So you might have issues with New York, New York transport, Matt. But at least there, as to your knowledge, are no bed bugs running around there, eh? We, I've, we've had bed bugs before. It's the worst. It's, it's um, just that word sent me into a spiral. Sent me into a fucking spiral. <laughs> Jesus you, you, Christ! Literally, my mum's the same as that as well. If she bed bugs, she just has to. If you've ever had them. it. <laughs> she was t- messaging me going make sure you don't bring big bed bugs back to you know what I mean so right but I think that's the end of the pod there that was a good little whack there that was a good one wasn't it yeah 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 so there was plenty still plenty still juice um left to squeeze out there and I think we got it so that was that was great um anything else Matt that you no, want to I think we obviously in the international break we'll focus start thinking about um Chelsea uh next week um, but in the meantime, maybe we'll squeeze one in uh, over the weekend or something, uh, depending on what happens. But yeah, it was a good one, right? It certainly was. And thank you guys for tuning in. As always, do get over to, if you're not already a member of our Patreon, get over to patreon.com forward slash the Arsenal opinion and become a member. £3.50, I think it was the last time I checked, uh, a month. Price of a cup of coffee and you get a hell of a lot more of us. What more could you want? All that's left for me to say is ciao for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.